everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing in life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, oh, I got a good conversation up with uh, Patricia Cornwell. Uh, she's a huge, mega best-selling suspense mystery writer, but she was doing um, a CSI type stuff before it was a bit, before there was such a thing as CSI, Miami, New York, wherever. Uh, yeah, before it was a thing. And but she stuck to it, and you know she stayed with it, and through rejection and self-doubt and work, it was a great conversation for someone who's really come a long way on her journey. And we talked about passions and about following them and not trying to choose them. Just great. So check it out. It's Patricia Cornwell over at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. Uh, we're supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. I know I've been talking about it, but we're going ahead. We've got this winter, little winter conference coming up where I'm going to – I don't know what all is going to be taught. I don't know the uh, curriculum, I guess you could say, for the – but I'm going to be doing – uh, book proposals, how to write those. I used to hate it, hate it, but now I don't. And so that's why I'm teaching it. But there's gonna be a lot of stuff. We're not going to do any pitching, no pitching, just craft and business and that kind of stuff. So if you're interested and again, it's virtual, so it doesn't matter where you are, does it? No, it doesn't. So go on over to pnwa.org and you can find out. So, okay. We're going to talk about, you know, I'm going to do my usual thing today. I got a great guest, John Seeley, who I'm going to introduce in a moment, but you know, uh, obviously, like a lot of you, I was shaken by what happened on Wednesday. And now this is not a political podcast, and it will not become one. But I do think something, there was an aspect of it that relates to what we do, which is that we're writers and we're storytellers. And the people that charged the capital did so because they believed the story. That's what it was. It was a lie, but it was a story. Somebody told them, and they believed it. And all that they did was because they believed something that they were told. And it reminded me of the importance of stories, that if you're going to put a story out, if you're going to put something out there, put something out that you believe in, put something out that would make the world a world you'd want to live in. What it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to read. It's true. It's true. So care about the stories you tell. Tell a story that reminds you why life is worth living, what is, use, what is good about humanity if you believe there's anything good put it out there but care about your stories because they do matter they add up yes they do and john seeley our today's guest wrote a good story he's written a few but his most recent well i'll talk about that in a moment but he's an author of the whiskey baron the Edge of america and most recently fascinating book the merciful as well as a craft book book about writing that is called so you want to be a novelist uh an upstate South Carolina native. He has a degree in English from the College of Charleston and an MFA in fiction writing from Purdue University. His short fiction has appeared in Normal School, Pank, and The Sun, among other venues, and his nonfiction has appeared in The Rumpus, The Millions, and The Richmond Times Dispatch. He lives with his family in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, where he's also the publisher of Haywire Books. And he's with us now. Yes, he is. How you doing, John? Hi, how are you? Glad to be here. Well, it's good to have you. Uh, uh, man, how you holding up? You're kind of you were kind of you're kind of kind of near, lot closer to the epicenter of all the trouble than I am right now. How are you holding up over there? 
Oh, we're fine. Look, I mean, I'm in Richmond, Virginia, which was a very hot zone last summer. Um, uh-huh. If you remember, we yeah. had the, uh, the big Stonewall Jackson statue that was kind of yes, the uh, key symbol of a lot right. of last summer's protests. So, right. uh, yeah, we've definitely seen some action. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I mean, we're an hour up the road from Charlottesville, which wow. is going to wow. four years past now. But, I mean, a lot of, you know, we've got Charlottesville wow. bookending the administration on one end and wow. the, the Capitol um, issue with uh, the other end, you know, two hours up the road. So wow. we're, we're, yeah, we're in the hot seat. Um, wow. But I well, mean, everything, you know, we're, we're all holding up just, just fine. I mean, I've been trying to tell people because, you know, last year was terrible with the coronavirus. I've been trying sure. to tell people 2021, we're on a rocket ship. We're going <laughs> to the moon this year. You know, we're, we're, we're due for some optimism. We're due for some yeah. positivity. And, you know, last week was a sad week, but we are uh, moving forward. I agree. I absolutely agree. I, 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 there is no, there is no use in pessimism. You know, you know what the, you know what the, I heard someone, I think it was Dave Chappelle who quoted someone saying the definition of a optimist is someone who accepts they don't know the future and a pessimist is always right. I thought that Uh is, I like it. (laughs) I like it. All right. So John, I got to tell you, uh, you strike me as somebody who has, I've been interested in writing for a long time. Did it go back to your childhood or did it start later? Um, well, y- yes and no. So, uh, I mean, I've always been a big reader and I'm sure most of the, yeah. your guests will say yeah, you know, reading yeah, is a yeah. critical importance. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but I, but when I was a kid, one of the books that I was one of my favorite books was Beverly Cleary's, um, Dear Mr. Henshaw, which is a book about writing. Um, the, uh, really kid in it. Yeah. It's a kid and it is, uh, writing, letters to his favorite author, Mr. Henshaw, who kindly says, Hey, maybe you should keep a journal, you know? Uh-huh. So the, so the book is the kid's journal over the course of a year. And his, um, you know, his dad is a, his parents are separating. His dad was a big rig driver or a trailer uh-huh. driver. And he's just kind of, you know, using writing as a, as kind of an outlet to, to, to deal with his home life. And right. at the end of the book, he enters a writing contest. And it's going. It was supposed to be judged by the author, Mr. Henshaw, but it ended up being a substitute. But he so he writes this story about riding in his big rig with his dad. And it's been. I mean, it's been 35 years since I read the book. But right, um, right. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, um, the the he wins like a, a runner-up prize, and the uh-huh. author pulls him aside and says, "Hey, look, you know, all your peers are writing these books about monsters and aliens, and what I really like about your book." But this is about you. This is just, or, or your story, rather. This is about right. you. This is, you know, kind of a, a just a personal realist piece. And I think that kind of set the tone for what I understand fiction to be, which is right. um, I've been drawn to, you know, traditionally realist stories, personal stories that, um, right. you know, capture something about life and, and, and as an author, something about writing those stories down. Um, I don't know, it changes you somehow. So I think that, uh, so I kept the journal as a kid, but then really start writing fiction, you know, and taking myself more seriously until I was in college and an adult. But um, how was, old were you, you know, when you of, read that story? When you, how old were you when you read that book? Oh, that must have been. I mean, it must have been first or second grade. I don't. What? Uh, oh, oh, really? Oh, you were that young? Holy smokes! Well, I mean, it was a it's a it's it a, kid's a kid's book, book. right? So I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, it, I don't know. Um, 
not to, you know, I would ought to try to see if I could dig up meaning, but I'm sure it was in elementary school. I'm sure it was in early elementary yeah, yeah. school. Okay. Cause that's when, I mean, it was, you start with, you start with the remote of the pest and then, uh, right. Um, the mouse and the motorcycle, and that was sort of in the rotation first, second, third grade-ish, somewhere around in there. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the kid who's writing, this, writing the story is, um, you know, it, it, maybe older elementary school, but it's right. somewhere okay. in that age. All right, so you, you're a kid, but that made an impression on you. Because I can't I, – when I was in first or second grade, I, I can't remember a book that made an impression on me. Like I remember reading the Hardy Boys mysteries and voraciously, mm-hmm. like – like, it was mm-hmm. my first experience. Like, give me another one. Give me another one. Give me another one. And that was new mm-hmm. for me. And I, and and then there were other things after. But that was like sixth grade. But okay. So so you're so you read that. That makes an impression. And then in college, you kind of get serious. You start getting serious. And what does that mean? Does that because that's you know because here's the thing. When you say I want to do I, for a lot of people, like that's a. Did you come from a family of writers? Most writers don't. Like that's usually come from people no, who don't no. write. Um, and I mean to be honest, I. My career has not followed the path that I thought it would. So when I was 20 uh-huh. years old, I thought, hey, what the model for being a writer seems to be, and a lot of the writers I was getting, you know, reading and getting to know were professors, right? They had gone through ah, yeah, yeah, MFA, yeah. adjunct, get a book out, get right. a teaching job. That seemed to be the right. model, and that's kind of what I thought I was going to do, but that didn't oh, work okay. out exactly. So, um, um, but, I mean, that's – Seemed like a nice life. So, uh, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> and when I say I got, you know, I guess I started taking it more seriously. Uh, I, I mean, I found I had some knack for it and right. enjoyed doing it. So I would spend my summers. I mean, I worked landscaping over the summers, and I would come home and write stories at night. Or, yeah. you know, and after uh, after I graduated from college, I had a few weeks between there and going to graduate school, and I just I wrote a novel over over a summer and. Wow. You know, you just uh, you just sit there and, and and start doing it, and then if that's what you want to do. That's you know, so that's the job. Um, right. And uh, so yeah, that's uh, uh, I got I got out of graduate school with my MFA in 2008. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. And if you remember 2008, that was not a great I year to be do. trying to find you know a job. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I I followed a girlfriend who is now my wife to Richmond, Virginia. Uh, and I got a job adjuncting at a local university, but it didn't pay enough to cover all my bills. Right. So I got a second job selling TVs and car stereos at Circuit City. Oh my and God! I did that. Yeah, yeah. It was really embarrassing. I was, you know, I'm, you know, uh, I was teaching at this prestigious university in the morning, and right. then I put on this goofy red shirt to go sell car stereos or whatever. Wait, wait, wait. A bunch wait. Of high school did kids. Your, your students ever come in? Did you how, did you ever have the experience of one of your your they, students coming in? They did not. I, they did oh, not. Thank I, God. I had one kid ask me if I could get him a discount on an Xbox, but uh, <laughs> I, no, none of them. I didn't. And, uh, I didn't. I intentionally didn't tell them which Circuit City branch in town that it was. Yeah. That it was. Yeah. Um, but at the end of 2008, um, Circuit City went bankrupt, and yes. the university where I was adjuncting restructured and got rid of all of its. Uh, adjunct teachers so oh i was out job at the same time oh. and, the, and the world around us was collapsing and so yeah you know there went that so i, I found my way to the newspaper because i was remarkably right. unsavvy about what i could do as a profession i mean i just sort of bumbled right. through my early career and so well what is what do you do so i found a, it was a proofreading job at the newspaper that you know right. gradually started doing writing and you know other tasks at the paper for a few years but um, 
that too was not really a stable job when you think about it. John, it? The, John you were I, like a character in the kind of novel you might write. You, correct, you were, correct, yeah. <laughs> that moment of losing it, kind of, not at all. I mean, you, you would have had to have your wife leave you. But I mean, if, if uh, yeah. that was enough, right? The country that's collapses right, right. and you that's collapse right. with it. Perfect. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> you're you're not a that character. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, I make light of it, but it was a humbling experience. It sounds like. Well, it, um, I didn't. I wasn't an ambitious professional, so it it was um, humbling in the sense that I mean, it's kind of demeaning working for eight bucks an hour when you've got a master's degree and you kind of, you know, and some oh, of yeah. the, and some oh, yeah. you know, and as you get older, uh, you know, people start on the same trajectory, yes. right? So all the people I graduated Dude. from high school and college with were, but then they, some of them gradually that's were starting on a rocket ship up. That's then, right. You know, right. it's sort of, you find out where you are in the totem pole and brother, I waited tables uh, so, for 20 years, 20 years, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. And I saw, Oh my God, that was a, that was tough. So, all right. So you're starting to go through that a little bit. Cause the thing is about writing is you got to learn. There's so much you got to learn, not just how to write a novel, but like what your voice is. You got to learn to, you know, mm-hmm. not get your ego wrapped. There's a lot to learn about it, whether not just the craft that goes beyond that, don't you think? Oh, yeah. And I, I think that's the nice thing about being a novelist, though, is that um, you can learn the mechanics of writing and probably should learn some of the mechanics of writing when you're younger. Yeah. Um, but yeah. as you get older, you get wiser in theory. I presume this continues and you <laughs> well, we know more. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you can, uh, you can get better at storytelling, um, and you can get better at understanding the complexity of people. And I think when, so I think that's why novelists sometimes hit their stride in their forties and even their fifties, um, is that, you know, when you're, I mean, no offense to anybody younger than 30, but I don't necessarily want to read a novel from a 25 year old anymore because I just, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I, I sort of, I know the moves and I know the right. life and, right. um, and I kind of, I still look for those novelists that are writing, you know, a little older to, so, so they can still give me something to offer. Um, right. and I think it's a, it's a career, unlike a lot of them that you, you sort of peak later in life. Yeah, it's it's very true. I mean, I've interviewed some great young writers, um, and the ones who are really I interviewed Britt Bennett, whose book was number one. I think she's in her thirties, um, but she was wise in that she really was ruthless in like I'm only going to write stuff that really excites me, or I won't do it. And I think mm-hmm. I got to tell you that's hard lesson to learn. It seems obvious, but it's easy to start writing, and I, I think, and start. Saying, yeah, I want to write what interests me, but I also want to have it be good and people like it and get good, you know. And you can start, you yeah. can start noodling. I think get in there, even just unconsciously, even thinking you're doing the right mm-hmm. thing. So I, I think it's a, I think there's a lot you have to learn. So, so the Whiskey Baron is your first novel you published. Did you publish some short stuff before you did that? Before you got that out? Um, um, I mean, I had some short stories that had come out, and I had uh, my job at the paper. I had plenty of articles and that kind of thing, right. but. Right. Uh, that was my first book. Um, yeah. And I came out with a Hub City Press in South Carolina. That's a, um, they kind of focus on first novels. Um, right. Right. W- you know, with a, with a the Southern experience is sort of their brand. Right. Uh, right. And so the Whiskey Baron is set in the 30s in South Carolina in a middle village and is about a you know bootleggers 
um, kind of crumbling with the empire and this, you know, a cry novel and um, very much steeped in um, the Carolina cotton mill culture. Mm-hmm. And, th- and when did that come out? Um, 2014. Okay. So 2008, um, yeah. everything collapses. You get the job at the, the newspaper. And so six years later, and did you write a couple yeah. of novels and try to sell them before the Whiskey Baron? Um, I, so I had one novel that I wrote. Uh, I started it out of college and that was, ended up being my master's thesis and sent that out to some agents, probably starting around 2008, 2009. And uh-huh. the feedback I got was, hey, this is too quiet. I can't do anything with it. Right. And, you know, right. I think that's, right. you, were, you were talking about the, the things to learn. I think the, the other side of that is the business side of things. Um, yeah. And, you know, I didn't know anything other than, well, you query agents. You've got a book, you query right. agents. And you don't necessarily know what the, the commercial side of things is about. Um, yeah. And it, it was a it was a quiet personal family story. Um, and it was not good. I mean, in hindsight, it was not good. But, right. Um, but that sort of said, hey, this is too quiet. Let me write a loud book. I'm going to. <laughs> make a big crime murder book, right? Something right, with right. a concept that'll sound good on the radio, you know? Right, and, right, right. Um, and so I wrote the Whiskey Baron in 2009 to 10, somewhere around in there. Um, uh, wrote a, my second novel, my second published novel, The Edge of America, shortly on its heels, 2010 uh-huh. to 12-ish, um, yeah. while I was trying to sell the Whiskey Baron. Um, right. And then I had a, two or three other novels kind of after that that are just sitting in a drawer and Really? Um, Did you try to yeah, publish them, so or you just like you didn't want to? Like, what um, happened with that? Um. Well, I, I guess I just one of them was a crime novel set in in, in rural Indiana. Um, it, um, kind of thinking about the uh, business side of things. When you uh, start putting books out, you uh, you know develop some kind of niche, and so sure. my sure. niche, if you will, is the sort of line between fiction, between literary fiction and crime fiction and yeah. somewhere in the Southeast. I mean, that's kind of my <laughs> right, zone. Right. Um, something set in Indiana. Um, it just felt like it was, you know, it's a little outside of that. And it was more of a straight up mystery. Um, and uh, so I might still do something with that at some point, but um, I just, right. you know, I sent it to one agent at the time and she said, eh, I don't right. know. It doesn't really fit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Put it in the right. drawer. I mean, I wrote it quickly, and, just, and then and then I got another one that I might revise and try to do something with. But my process is I'll end up writing a book, then I'll write another book and go back and revise number one. You right. know, kind of back, oh, back okay. and forth among a couple of. So um, uh, you know, if I had a I had a hungry publisher with a pile of money saying, write one book at a time. And let's give you a pile of money for this one book, and then you write your next book, and, and we'll give right. you another pile of money. I would do it that way, but um, that's not the way it works. So I, right. you know, I just kind of, you know, just got things in various state of construction, and you know, trying to get them out as they as they get done. And when did Haywire Books? When was that born? Um, 2019. Um, okay. So the the genesis of Haywire Books. Um, uh, so after the Whiskey Baron, I had an agent who tried to sell The Edge of America, but um, you know, the, like the kind of business lesson they don't tell you when you're young is that uh, you only get one debut book. 
right in today's yep. market you get the one day bo- debut book and then you're kind of you you are where you are on the on the totem pole right. Um, right and i just don't think it broke out quite enough to you know then get me set up in new york and right. um, and i kind of noticed uh there were a lot of southern writers that i'm just in my circle that are in the same boat uh, right that just you know are what they call mid-list um, yes, 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 yes. And so sell, sales somewhere between 500 and uh, 10,000 copies, you're sort of stuck in the mid-list. Um, right. And, um, and then I also uh, – there were not that many forums or presses in the southeast that uh, – Right. You know, are, are, you know so there's, there's a couple of publishers, like I mentioned, Hub City, but they tend to focus on debut books. Um, there's West Virginia University Press that does a nice job, but they're more like Appalachian. Yeah. Um, Pat Conroy had a uh, press that, with the University of South Carolina called Story River that was doing a pretty good job of uh-huh. um, non-Appalachian Southern fiction, but he died, and this press sort of died. Right. Um, right. Press just thinking, well, maybe it can be kind of a bridge for um, mid-list novelists with some connection to the South, because I knew indie, the indie bookstore community down here is pretty strong. Oh, good. Um, okay. So I felt like I, you know, I, I knew the knew the indie booksellers and could probably get it into into the regional market pretty well. Um, right. I knew some of the publications for, you know, publicity. Um, right. and so I was thinking, hey, this could be a bridge between, you know, you get your first book and maybe it doesn't get you launched in New York and gets you launched in the, uh, you know, in that level. But maybe you know you still got books, right? You, you know, right. You know, and I think it's important for authors to kind of have that like trail of breadcrumbs to just oh, you absolutely. Know, that next publication to keep you, yeah. um, you know, to keep you just make you feel like it's worth doing. Well, and, it just you, there's a yeah. kind of a snowball effect to it all, you know. It it's because I was amazed. The first book I published was with a tiny publisher, and it didn't sell a lot. But it just having it out was useful mm-hmm. to me. Having it out helped build my platform, got me opportunities, right. you know, and I was grateful for it. So, you know, I think it's wonderful. And so you start, so how do you like that? You like being on the other side of that desk? Um, well, unfortunately half <laughs> of my publishing career has been during the pandemic, which killed right. my business model. Oh, so, God, I mean, I really, I really wrote this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we really wrote this business model around, the idea you could go on book tour, visit booksellers around the Southeast, you know, go to conferences, right. festivals and that kind of thing. There's a big book festival culture in the South. Uh, yeah. um, and all of that's been on hold for a year. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, so I think we're all kind of, I don't know how. Hang in there, John. Publishers do yeah. Yeah. We're all Hang in there, buddy. time out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you know, just sort of saying, okay, well, what's what's it look like on the other side? Are we going to get out of this? And the books, I mean, I don't, you know, it's got it's it's got to be terrible on booksellers. Um, uh, I, you know, I really don't know how they're making it. Well, you know, they with having to have retail closed. I um, I, they, the the word on the street initially was that they were doing a bang up e business. You know, that a lot of like some of the big independent bookstores around the, in the Northwest surprisingly we're doing just fine that's what i heard now i don't know if that's still true but people were wanting to read and when i sold i just sold a book um well i sold it when i talked to her it would have been march or april and she, this was penguin and they were like um I, we're doing fine 
<laughs> so now they were selling a lot of like right. penguins huge, and they had like books for kids at who were homeschooling, and they were you know so they had the whole. But mm-hmm, Penguin mm-hmm. was doing just fine in at that time. So right, I, I, people they're home; they got to do something, right? Right. Besides I, Netflix, I would think that. Um, yeah, I would think. I mean, when you think about the 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 shift to remote work. Yeah, I mean, my yeah. I, I always have worked from home since I, I after I left the paper. I've been freelancing and just working at home. But my right. wife worked downtown in Richmond, and you know, the other day we added it up and said, "Hey, you know, forty-five minute commute by the time she parks and gets you yeah. know from the parking garage, so that's an hour and a half a day, five you yep. know, five days a week. Uh, you know, I mean, we're looking at over over the course of a year. I mean, six seven hours a week times fifty. You know, it's it's several weeks worth of free time. That's that's right. That is uh, right. that is freed up because of the because of remote working. You multiply that across the you know the population of a, a um, lot of know, white collar workers. That out. I think a lot of yeah. people are kind of waking up to this reality. Um, so I mean, I think that the, you got to do something. You got to fill the time with something. I mean, I think there's of course been you know the show, you know, in politics. So yes. the show has come to an end. So, you know, the doom scrolling on Twitter and I you know, yes. imagine all of that has yes. been yes. something that's going to be more time. Days, but, up. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, the, the show's over and uh, and we have these extra couple hours a day of free time. So I'm yeah. hoping that we can step in and kind of you know, at least maintain. Listen, I'm going to plug this thing. Plug this to the book is The Merciful. And it's a literary mystery. I would call it mystery ish in there. Call it definitely literary. Mm-hmm. Uh, good book, people. Uh, it's not now. It won't be out this right now. It's uh, January twelfth, but uh, I don't know when you're going to listen to this, people. But uh, it comes out the nineteenth. You can pre-order it. It's a great read, smart book, well written. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it if you like that kind of thing. If you like that kind of thing. So good job, my friend. Good job on the book. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. So um, yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I would call it. You're right on the money. Sort of a literary book with a mystery-ish. Um, it's yeah. about the hit and run killing of a bicyclist. Yep. yep. So yeah. um, kind of a trial novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very good. Very good. And and I, I'm pleased with it. And so you, you did this one yourself. And so then you can't be your own editor, though, right? You've got to have someone else do that for you, don't you? Right, right. Yeah, yeah you have to outsource all that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like Haywire Books is a company of one, but, you know, we've got right. to, Right. Other, other, you know, designer editors, uh, that sure, kind of, sure. you know, other people yeah. at, at work. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's a company of one at the moment. At the moment. <laughs> Correct. But it may grow. Correct. It may grow. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, this book is coming out next week. Uh, are you going to try? Are you going to have you? Because I have a lot of friends who've written to do the virtual. Are going to try and do some kind of virtual tour type stuff? Something? Um, you got any I've got a plans? couple of vir- a couple of virtual events lined up. So uh, on the 21st, um, Fountain Bookstore here in Richmond, I'm doing kind of a launch with them. They have a Crowdcast, you know, virtual platform, um, yep. and um, and then uh, I've got a, an event at the Pat Conroy Center in Low Country, South Carolina, um, yep. with another author, Bryn McLean, in a couple of weeks. Um, and we'll probably line up a few more of those things. Um, yep. And then, you know, maybe when the weather warms up and the vaccine starts getting out, I might try to do, you know, another little wave of like some actual in-person stuff over the summer or right. something. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, other, otherwise, I mean, I think 
you know, people want to find me, I'm out on Twitter. I don't, you know, not super active out there, but on Twitter or at John Seeley or johnseeley.com or, you know, I'm sure so your show link. And, yeah. yeah, it's in there. So johnseeley.com, that's your website. And if, and if people want you to appear via Zoom in their book group, would you do such a thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm available. Good. So <laughs> oh, good, good man. Good man. Um, all right. Well, that's good. So and have you have you started toiling on the next project? Um, no. Uh, so to be honest, I mean, when the pandemic hit, I've got a three year old, a five year old and oi, uh, oi. schools were, you know, school and daycare were closed for a couple months. And, um, um, you know, so just, you know, navigating life for the past year has just been yeah. kind of treading water. So I've got yeah. myself got plenty of books in the drawer. With Haywire, I have a handful of very good manuscripts kind of in my inbox that I, I'm right. woefully behind on. So, I mean, it, right now it's kind of, like I said, just a little bit of a pause or a timeout while we're kind of waiting on, uh, you know, hopefully some good news. What happened? Like I said, rocket, rocket ship. We're, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to blow things up this year. But um, Great. So we'll, Great. We'll, That's the right attitude. Yeah. That is right. Yeah. Okay, listen, John, I got one more question for you. So it's johnsilly.com, people. They can order the book there as well, wherever I can, you know, all the usual places. But if they want to do it, they can do it also, I assume. Um, actually, I mean, if you go to haywirebooks.com, that's where there's like a commerce site. But I mean, yeah, wherever ah. you buy your books, I mean, I, you know, I like to encourage people to do their independent bookstores, especially, yeah. you know, right now because of, the, you know, the way things are. But wherever you want to buy your book, we'll have an ebook and print books and you know excellent okay. um, so it's all out there people haywirebooks.com or john or wherever wherever fine books are sold got one more question for you john and what i want you to do is finish this sentence if writing has taught you anything it's taught you what all stories are lies Ooh, i like it all right fill yeah. me in on that a yeah. little bit well um i mean i think this this uh what is a story? You take a story and you take a sequence of events and then you frame it from, through a point of view. And right. that's true whether you're writing a novel or a report. Or a memoir, maybe. You have to, yeah. or, a, or a memoir. It doesn't matter what, whatever story yeah. you're trying to tell. There's, there's a start point, there's an end point, there's a frame. And just yeah. like framing a photograph, it, you don't know what's on the outside of the photograph. That's right. Um, that's right. And so I think it's kind of like, uh, I mean, it's sort of the hokey Heisenberg's uncertainty principle idea, right, where you can't measure the speed of an art of, of a particle without changing its position, and vice versa. Right, you know, right. As soon as you get more precise, so the same deal is when, as soon as you frame a novel, as soon as you frame a narrative, you are omitting something, which is another That's right. view or That's context right. outside of the frame. So it is inherently dishonest. And the idea behind a narrative is that uh, you have to have a credible person framing it. Um, right. and framing things in an interesting way and in a trustworthy way and in a way that you can derive some, you know, ideally some broader truth from. But, um, but yeah, um, this sort of wrapping my head around this idea that every narrative is a, is a lie, I think is a um, yeah. good counsel for anybody trying to understand the world. I agree. I agree. You always leave something out. It's very true. It's very true. John, Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Congratulations on the book. Good luck with it and with your rocket ship ride in 2021. 
Thank you. You too. I appreciate it. All right. Take it easy, John. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. It's true, people. You know, I the whole truth can't do it. You got to choose your truth. Got to choose the part of the truth you want to tell. Got to make peace with that. It's true. It's true. Okay. Ah, I'll be back again next week. Do this again. Tell good stories, people. Put good stories out there. Whatever that means to you. Make them good. Make them as true to what you think is valuable about life as you can. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. To all of you out there, go find something you love to do and do it. <laughs>